I feel like this is an awkward time when I'm just standing up here. So I thought I'd just say that so it wouldn't feel as awkward. So. I, uh, <clears throat> I've really enjoyed my time up here. I was telling Pastor Calvin, uh, in some ways I needed this as much as maybe many of you needed it, uh, just to be able to walk, uh, just walk up the mountain yesterday and took a nap and uh, did some other things. I felt like... Uh, the very things that I've been studying and being prepared to share with you uh, were things I was able to put into practice. And so today, I kind of want to kind of wrap it up, but I want you to remember kind of what we went through. I mean, it's, you know, reliance on God, first of all, starts with an understanding that you're either relying on men, you're really relying on your own ability, or you're relying on God. There really isn't, you can't really do both. And then uh, yesterday morning, we talked about Sometimes it's hard to break free from those patterns that are established for so long. It's just like the Israelites, even with the manna, it, it just didn't hit them how God was blessing them. And for us, we have something better. We have that catalyst event of Christ on the cross. And if you look to that, it should break your heart every time. And, uh, and I shared with you how much I love to worship with you. Uh, just... I mean, just it's just awesome. You guys are so spoiled. But, uh, I mean, just, I don't know. I couldn't explain it, you know. Maybe maybe because you guys have a violin. Not everybody has a violin. That's kind of cool. So, but, but sometimes I drive, and uh, I like driving alone uh, because I, I actually don't, I guess I'm an introvert. I, I'd, I'd rather just kind of have my own thoughts. But sometimes I'll drive, and, I'll, and something will hit me. You know, like this music or, or a movie. See, my wife hates it because uh, I cry <laughs> at stupid movies, right? And uh, I always try to pretend I'm not because she's sitting right there. And so I just kind of go like this. And, uh, <laughs> and I just kind of move on, you know, because I... But uh, I love it when things break my heart. I love it when I drive and something reminds me of God or a tree or, or something you see is beautiful. And you know and you think God put it there. And he put it there for his glory uh, and for our enjoyment. Um, sometimes I just drive and I'll see something funny. I'll just start laughing to myself. And I go, <laughs> and, it, it's, it, it, and no one's in the car, but I still laugh. Uh, when I drove in on the road, <laughs> I wanted to know if we still had uh, cell service when we got here, which is, I know, it probably shouldn't have been on my mind. But... I turn down that road, uh, and it's called Two Bar Road, right? And I go, oh, look, two bars. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, so I thought that was really funny, and I laughed almost all the way until I parked. So I cracked myself up. But I do hope that, uh, I hope that today, see, now you guys aren't going to think of that road any other way next time you guys drive there. I don't even know why it's named that, but I'm sure it was before cell phones. But um, I hope... I hope you do walk away with something and not just understanding hoarders, but I hope there's something much deeper that you get out of this weekend. And uh, hopefully today I'm going to bring a couple more points in, but really it's just about we need to rely on God. You need to, you need to fight for that because you have no impact on unbelieving world 
if you don't have that deep relationship with God, you know? If you are just meshing in with society and you look like society and you stress out like society and you have no peace, you have no impact on unbelieving world. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter what you say. Your actions show them that your God really isn't all that. We have to fight for this reliance. We have to fight for the very peace that Jesus fought to give us back. And if, we're, and if we don't do that, if we don't understand this very, very basic thing, um, it's not that you won't make it to heaven. You just really won't have an impact here on earth. And, and then you wonder, why was I left here on earth, you know? And so these things are important. I was going to do the Matthew passage about the birds, but really kind of in my time um, yesterday, uh, just praying and thinking, um, I kind of want to go into a different passage, and I think this will be really cool. I'm going to go into, uh, right after Jesus washes the feet of the disciples and Judas uh, is, leaves to go in the dark, I, there's something really cool um, Dave Lomas, who's pastor at Reality Church, uh, may notice something in this passage that I think is pretty cool, that I think will be very helpful to us. And then I'm going to tie it all together with some practical things we can do uh, to rely on God. But if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to, um, to this washing of Jesus. John chapter 13. Now, <clears throat> uh, we have a picture of what the Lord's Supper is or the Last Supper uh, because there's a lot of paintings about them. And they all seem to be sitting in chairs, Jesus in the middle, and there's a long table. Um, that's actually not how it was. And if you guys have you know, had spent some time with this or studied this passage, you know that back then everybody sat on the ground. They sat on pillows, and the table was actually kind of U-shaped. And the servers would walk in through the middle and serve people, and everybody would lounge around the outside, and uh, uh, the outside of the U. And so, so this was it. And so that's why the washing of the feet was so important, because you're, you're laying down next to people's, you know, stinky feet, right? And so you, you got to have clean feet. You just enjoy your meal more. Um, meals, I mean, weren't the meals just like the most precious time in, at the retreat, just sitting with different people and talking and spending kind of the uninterrupted time that you could do that you don't get to do anywhere else. I mean, that's, that was really part of uh, what the retreat was about. But that's what they're doing here. Um, this picture that, that gets laid out for us is very, very important because there's something that it teaches us about this relationship with God. So, so turn there with me if you, if you have your Bibles or your phones. Uh, turn to John chapter 13. And I'm just going to read it through, and then I'm going to go back through and make some, some comments. I'm going to start in verse 21. Um, I think we can't forget that Jesus was heavily burdened by the thought of going to the cross. You remember the, the whole ordeal at the garden? Right here, he's also enduring that, and this is how it starts in verse 21 of chapter 13. It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. 
His, his disciples stared at one another uh, at a loss of which one he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Hey, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, uh, who is it? Jesus answered, It's the one whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. What you have to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus, Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So the Bible has... Let's pray. <laughs> I think I need to pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you again. Uh, just quiet our hearts right now. There seemed like a lot of things happening, and uh, just want to really focus on your word. I really want to focus in on what you're trying to teach us. Lord, have your truth be evident in your word uh, so that our hearts would understand and that we would live them out. Lord, just bless us this day as we strive to be more like you, to trust the spirit you've given us. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There are certain things in the Bible that are just goofy to me. This is one of the goofiest passages in the Bible. You guys know where I'm going with this. Because if you understand this narrative, if everything happened like it says in John, let me just play out this scenario for you. Jesus is hurting, and he can't hold it in anymore because he knows somebody's going to betray him. And he's just man, anxious. And so it says he couldn't hold it in anymore. He just finally just burst, and he says... Man, I'll tell you, man, one of you guys are going to betray me. He just says it. They're having this awesome meal. You know, they had, you know, duck, whatever they ate. Everybody was enjoying themselves. They're sitting there. And Jesus is just relaxed. His feet is clean. Uh, everybody's feet is clean. And he's just enjoying. They're full. And he says, man, everybody's so happy. But I, 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 there's, something, there's something wrong. And he, he has to burst out and say this thing. He says, somebody's going to betray me. And the next dialogue is just kind of weird. So you got Peter and John there, and it seems like John, who never calls himself John, but calls him the one that Jesus loved, is sitting there, and Peter's saying, oh, I wonder who it is. Who could it be? So there's obviously this stir, this talk, that everybody's saying, did you hear what Jesus said? Awkward, you know? He just, he just said this, right, and we're enjoying everybody, and then he's going to accuse somebody here? And everybody's saying, I wonder who is it? Is, did you do something wrong, Simon? You know, the, so there's this, there's this buzz going on, right? And, and it's not that they didn't care because, <laughs> because Peter goes, John, John, find out who it is. Find out who it is. And so, so it seems like John is the one closest to Jesus. He's leaning on him. And so the Bible says he leans it a little more. He goes, hey, Jesus, uh, so, so who is it? You know? Maybe he was worried it was him. It, uh, you know, who, who, who is it? And he leans in and he, and he asks Jesus, and Jesus gives him an answer. He says, well, it's very simple. 
I'm going to dip this bread in here, and I'm going to hand it to somebody, and that's the one who's going to betray me. So immediately after this, he dips the bread. He goes, Judas, here you go. <laughs> and he gives it to Judas, and then everybody goes, oh, I wonder who it is. <laughs> Did you see that? Isn't that weird that, that there's this, this stuff happening, and yet they couldn't see it. They just, they just kind of went on, and, and they were even more confused when Jesus says, well, whatever you're going to do, go and do it quickly. And people say, well, I can't be Judas. I wonder who it is. <laughs> and he said, well, he's just going to go buy something, or he's going to go give money to the poor. Obviously, the disciples didn't know the heart of Judas. Obviously, they felt of anybody, he was the most trustworthy. He held the money. You don't, you don't give the money to the ones you don't trust. And so there was just no thought of him being this betrayer. But I, I always laugh at that because I feel like if he told me he was going to dip his bread and whoever gave it, I would just be watching, it's you. You know, I mean, it's so easy to know who it is. And then I would, you know, obviously then, you know, we wouldn't play card games with him or something. I mean, it just would be a guy that we would not include because we knew there was something wrong with them. But the disciples didn't do that. But I, I wanted to show you something else from this, which is absolutely cool. And this is what I, I learned from David Bumas. John's gospel uses a lot of polarization, a lot of black and white, light and dark, uh, good and evil. He, he uses that a lot. And even in this section, we see some of that. Because it says at the end of this section, it says that immediately after that, uh, he went out, and it was night. Well, that's kind of a weird thing to say, because once, once he goes out, it really doesn't matter what time of day it is. But John makes a very, very important distinction, because darkness is associated with evil. And for Judas to go out, he was actually going out into darkness. He was going out into evil. And Jesus was a light. He was going further from the light. Remember what we talked about that first night about this model of Eden who was modeled in the temple, was modeled in the tabernacle, and was modeled in Jesus? It's the same idea that the further we're from Christ, the further we're from God, um, the more darkness that's out there. So we have to find our way back to Eden. We have to find our way back to the source, the reliance on God. So John uses that in a very dynamic way, constantly showing good and evil, black and white, dark and light. But what's interesting about this story really is how do you remain close to Jesus? And the way you look at it is you go back and you look at John. You look at John in this passage. Again, it's the one that it says, you know, he's the beloved. But if you go back and read, again, uh, where they were located. They were lounging, they were sitting down, they were leaning, If they're, they're probably right-handed, so, but they're leaning on one arm and eating with their other hand. And so everybody's kind of in an angle. You know, it's almost like, you know, like, you know that, that, that game where you all lean on each other and you sit and everybody's in the same kind of position around this circle. And the one and I don't even know how he got to this spot, but he got to sit next to Jesus. He seems always to be on the right hand of Jesus, right? Just like in the Bible, who's on the right hand of God the Father? Jesus, right? So there's, a, there's, this, there's this picture that we see 
that being close to Jesus is similar to how Jesus is close to God. And so John now, the beloved, is leaning and eating, and Jesus is right there. Jesus is right next to him. In fact, if you look at that passage, it says in verse 23, one of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So I don't know where Simon was in this U-shaped table, but wherever it was, these were, they were buddies. And they, he could say, John, or he could tap him on his foot and say, John, ask him who it is. They, he, somehow he signaled John. So, so how does John react? So how does John find out more? It says in verse 25, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Okay, so in our translations, when you read that, you just think, well, that's, you know, just kind of getting closer so we can hear him. Um, you get, so I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm not a big hugger. <laughs> I don't know how you would know that. You wouldn't know that, but uh, I'm, I'm not a big hugger. When we grew up, uh, you know, our, we never hugged in our family. You know, we, I don't even think we, you know, high-fived, or they didn't do fist bumps back then, but uh, we just, just said hi, and everything was cool. We were, we were good, but we weren't huggers. But if you're in church long, <laughs> sooner or later, you just become a hugger, right? That's just kind of like what the church greeting ends up being. But um, still, for the most part, uh, especially when I meet somebody I, I don't know real well, only a couple of times, I, I, I'm kind of awkward because I don't know, is this one of the hugging moments or can I just kind of shake his hand and uh, kind of move on? And then there's these friends of mine who every time I want to shake their hand, they go, come on, man, I'm a hugger. And they come up and they hug you, right? And, you know, sometimes, especially if it's like it's a big guy, you know, they hug you and I just feel so, you know, I don't know, dainty. But it's just kind of a weird feeling and I don't like it. I just don't like it. I don't, I don't, in, I don't hug uh, enjoying the hug. I just kind of do it as a formality. So all that to say, uh, <laughs> just telling you too much about myself here. All that to say is that when John leans up against Jesus, he is actually right there on his chest. In fact, what uh, uh, if you, if you does anybody have the K, uh, KJV? Anybody read King James? Nobody reads King James, but King James has this very uniquely, okay? Because it says this in. Um, the same exact passage in the King James says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom. Wow, that's a cool word. <laughs> One of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon, Pifo, Simon Peter therefore beckoned him. Now here's the old English. That he should ask who it shall be that he spaketh. Or spake. <laughs> uh, so... Then he goes on to this. Okay, so in, in our translation, he leaned into Jesus. Now listen to what it says in the King James. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Okay, so it's very, very descriptive. It's very descriptive. It uses this term bosom and, and laying on his breast. He was right next to Jesus. And when he went to hear what Jesus had to say, he put his head on his breast, on his chest, right there. And I'm thinking, man, I would be uncomfortable if somebody asked me a question right here. <laughs> right? I'm sitting here, and he goes, 
hey, Paul, who is it? And, um, but apparently that was okay with them because Jesus answers him. Now, okay, why is this important? If you look in John chapter 1, uh, verse 18, uh, also in the King James, there's a statement there about, about us not knowing God, but only being able to know God through his son. And listen to the wording there. I'm going to also read that in King James. This is from John chapter 1, verse 18. I didn't bring my King James Bible. Actually, I don't even know if I have one, so I had to, I had to copy it down. But no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in his bosom, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Did you, did you catch that? So, so you see the picture that John is trying to lay out in his gospel. He's saying that Jesus, no one's seen God, but Jesus is right there at his heart, right there at his bosom. And it's the same thing that John is. John leans in and is right there at Jesus' bosom, right there. And when you lean into someone's chest, what do you hear? You hear his heart. See, the truth is, the further we go out into darkness, the further we are from the heartbeat of Jesus. The further we lean into Jesus, the closer we are to the very heartbeat of God. Just as Jesus lived out his earthly ministry, fully man, fully God, leaned into the one unknown person, at least to humanity, God, and knew his heartbeat and knew what God wanted him to do. So if we don't find this opportunity to lean into God, if we don't find opportunities to kind of listen to the heartbeat of God, we can't rely on him. So if I give you something practical out of this last lesson, it is to find an opportunity to lean into God. We live in a world that's so chaotic, that's so fast-paced, that even your devotional time, hey, I, I am guilty of this. I, I, I have devotional time, but sometimes I'll open my laptop just to see if I got an email overnight. Or something goofy that just, hey, you know, make sure the coffee pot is started or something. You know, and, 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 and before you know it, you're not really spending all that time listening to God. You're, you're actually managing your life, but including God in that. He becomes just one of the appliances that you manipulate in the morning. And by doing that, you lose this opportunity to stop and listen to the heartbeat of Jesus. See, I, I think this was a model for us to follow. I think he was trying to remind us that um, we, you know, it, it we're so easily distracted. Um, they tell us that the attention spans have shrunk over the years. You know, I don't know. Someone I read said it was 12.5 seconds you have somebody's attention, which seems awful short uh, in a 50-minute sermon. But um, <laughs> so I have to keep reengaging, you know. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, i tell you one thing. I know I was listening to the, the tribute last night for Pastor Calvin. I was thinking it's a long time, 20 years. 
pastoring is is a very difficult vocation. I I did it for a while, and uh, I did other things, and I would say that that was the hardest time of my life, was the years pastoring. Looking back, there's fruit there, but it was very, very difficult. And um, it's harder all the time because distractions are more intense all the time. Every year, churches are finding it more and more difficult to keep people focused on what church is supposed to be about. And it's a, it's a difficult job, so pray for your pastors. Um, just, just consider what they endure. Um, distractions are our weakness. There's a, there's a way to fight that. And the fighting means to find a time where you are absolutely with God. And it may seem weird in the city because there's just so much going on. Um, out here in the woods, it's easy to kind of find. The only thing that distracts you is maybe a squirrel, right? You'd be focusing on God and go, oh, squirrel. But in the city, it might be, you know, a rat or something else, you know, or, or ants. But um, you have to find this. And I'm going to show you something else in this. And I hope this is a reminder to you. In John chapter, no, go to Matthew chapter, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We'll go back to John, but Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we have what is called uh, the temptation of Jesus. Remember we talked about these things that happened in each chapter of Matthew mirrored what happened in the Exodus, you know, the coming out of Egypt, the baptism, you know, the wilderness. Okay, so chapter 4 is the wilderness chapter of Matthew. Okay, and so we often think this, and I thought this for years, that somehow Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He gets up, and he goes off in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So in my thought, when I first learned this passage, was that Jesus gets up, and he goes there, and he's like, it's like boot camp. He's like bombarded with things from, from Satan. He's bombarded with these things to prove that he can do this. That's what I used to think. That's what I used to think that this meant. This, this trial, this, this 40 days in the wilderness was a boot camp to see if he was ready for ministry. That's not what it is. Jesus went into the wilderness to be in touch with God. Do you understand this? He had grown up in the city. He had grown up in the Galilee area. And now he's commissioned to begin ministry. And before he begins ministry, he needs time alone with God. The Greek word... For this wilderness is a word called eremos, eremos, E-R-E-M-O-S. Okay, so if you look up in like Strong's Concordance and you look up, there's 48 occurrences of this word. Okay, when this word occurs in other places, it brings much more light into Matthew chapter 4. So Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's not tempted until after the 40 days. Did you know that? It was after the 40 days that Satan came and tormented him and asked him these questions. And every time he replied with the word of God, right? He was strong. 40 days he was hungry, but he was strong. 
because when asked if he wanted bread, he said no. When he wanted food, he said no. Why? Because he just spent alone time with God. He, sp- he spent eremos with God. Eremos. He just spent time with God for 40 days, and it recharged him. Now turn with me now quickly to, to Mark chapter 1. Or you can just trust me. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That word, solitary place, is exactly the same Greek word. If you look in your Strong's Concordance, that's one of the accounts of this word. It's the same word we translated wilderness in Matthew chapter 1. But in this particular case, we can see why Jesus went there. He needed to be alone with God. He needed an alone place. He needed a place to, to, to isolate, to focus, and be ready to do ministry. He says, early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to Eremos. Now turn with me to chapter 6, verse 31. Just a couple pages over. Chapter 6, he's just feeding the 5,000 here. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming, uh, coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get rest. So their life was busy. It was hectic. They didn't even have time to eat. Have you guys ever been at work and, you know, deadlines, and you don't even have time to eat? And before you know, oh, it's 5 o'clock, I didn't even eat, right? This is, this is what they were enduring. And Jesus says, hey, stop, just stop. You guys, by yourselves, come with me, and we're going to go to a quiet place. We're going to go to Eremos. We're going to go to a wilderness. We're going to go to our alone time. We need to get rejuvenated. We needed to get reinvigorated. And so they went Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, solitary place. Same word. So one, in, in one, one verse above, it says it's a quiet place. In verse 32, it says a solitary place. Both cases, same word. Verse 33, but many who saw this, them leaving, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. So they're in this boat and they're going to go cruise. Hey, there's a park over here. Let's go over there. And so they're cruising in this boat. And all the people say, oh, look, they're going over to that park. And so they all ran to go meet him there. And then the Bible says Jesus had compassion. So, but he wanted this alone time. But his compassion overwhelmed him. Let's go to uh, one other place. Let's go to Luke, Luke 5, 15. Same word. Luke actually has Eremos nine times in it. Um, and they're all similar. A lot of times it, it's a refer- reference to uh, John the Baptist who went out in the wilderness. Is that same word. So, but in, uh, uh, what did I say, Luke? Good. Uh, yeah, Luke 5.15. Yet the news about him spread all over more. So the crowds of people came to hear him. And to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place. 
and prayed. So a solitary place, a quiet place, a lonely place, a wilderness. And so these were all translated differently. And so when you kind of look at it from our English Bibles, it may seem like, uh, you know, maybe some different things. Maybe he needed to be alone. Maybe he needed to be quiet. You know, maybe he needed to be by himself. At other times, maybe he wanted to be in a desert. But I think if we understand what this is telling us is that he, he, Jesus drew his strength when he was alone with God. Do you understand that? And he taught his disciples the same thing. He taught his disciples the same thing. He says, you two come with me without the crowds and let's go find a quiet place. So why don't we do that? <laughs> why don't we do that? Because we get so involved in our life. The alarm clock rings and we got a schedule to keep. And so even if we say, well, we'll do devotional, maybe I'll get to the office earlier, you know, I'll flip on my computer and I'll, you know, I'll go through a devotional, you know, I'll, 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 I'll read Oswald or something like that. And then, you know, I'll do something just to give me at this second. But that's not what Jesus is saying. You have to escape distractions and find a time to focus completely on God. You have to let God speak to you. You have to be leaning up against him. Our world, I think Tim Keller says this. He says in a city, in a city you have to be an expert you, because uh, you've just got to be really good at something. And so you rely on everybody else for other things. So in the city, you're, you're a real good plumber, but you've got to have someone else that's a good electrician. If you live out in the country, you're kind of good at everything, right, or good enough. But in the city, you have to be really good. And so this idea that if you live in the city, you're always trying to move ahead. You're always trying to advance and lean into your job. You're leaning into being better at what you do because it's competitive. Because if you're not the best one at it, someone else will be. And the more people that are in the city, the more that you have to be this expert. By being this, it causes you to lean away from God. And lean into what you're doing in your work. It's, it's a natural thing to do. You, you can't be satisfied with where you're at. And so you find opportunities to, to push forward, to lean in. You find time to, to invest in, in other outcomes. Where God's saying, if you want to rely on me, it is exactly the opposite. I'll give you the power to do that but you have to lean in on me. When you are concerned and there is difficulty, come and ask me. Get right up next to God. Lean right into his chest. Listen to his heartbeat. Slow your heartbeat down. Slow your pace down because our pace is dictated by those around us, by our environment, from our work, from our school. That's the pace. That's why they're stressed. That's why our hearts beat so fast. And what this model in John was saying is stop and listen to God's heartbeat because it's probably a lot slower. It's a, probably a lot more peaceful. And if you would be atoned to that, then you're ready to minister. Then you're ready to be an example to the world. See, my, my greatest fear 
is that we will know truth but not apply it is that we will come to a retreat a place like this and realize that this is true that i need this time but get back in there and before long that that hour we set aside has shrunk to half an hour has shrunk to 20 minutes has shrunk to 10 minutes uh has shrunk to 30 seconds while i'm brushing my teeth you should really brush your teeth longer but <laughs> it's shrunk to this this period of time and um and and you forget i don't know what i can do but i want you to remember don't remember the hoarder stories or the two bar road just Remember that you need to spend time with God. Make a commitment to your church. You will be a better member of the church if you spend that hour a day with God. And it may be hard to think about right now because I know my mind will wander. When you first try to do this and you go out there, you sit there and you look at a tree. I'm thinking of pizza. You know, I don't know why. It just kind of goes on these different progressions and before, how do I get the pizza? You know, I don't even know. And that's kind of what happens. But you've got to focus on God because what are you trying to do? You're trying to listen to the heartbeat of God. And so when you're out there or wherever you find this isolated place with no distraction, focus on the word of God, the heartbeat of God. This is his heartbeat. This is his love letter that was left for you. He says, I'm not going to be there. And I don't want you to just trust people. I want you to trust my word. I'm not going to leave you a videotape. I'm not going to leave, you know, I'm gonna, we're not going to have people do dramas. I'm going to leave you my word. Meditate on it, and you will know the heartbeat of your creator. Find time to spend time in his word and be deliberate about it. Listen, if you haven't done that in the past, start small. You know, make it five minutes three times a week. But increase that. And know that you want this goal because Jesus did it for 40 days before he could begin doing ministry. If he did that, then we certainly need to do that. If he spent time in isolation, in solitude, in quiet, don't you think we need it even more? I do. And uh, the true blessing that this weekend gave to me was that I spent some of that time with some of the burdens that I had been carrying. And so, uh, unfortunately, I'm telling you this at the end of the retreat, so I don't know how much more time you have in the woods, but um, I hope you find that place back home, uh, you know, where it's, uh, you know, a park, uh, you know, a park car, you know, or somewhere where there's no distractions and find time with God, hear his heartbeat, and don't be afraid uh, to invest in that as you invest in other things. Again, it's uh, been a tremendous blessing to be with you all. And uh, let me just close our time in prayer. Oh God, you are so pleased right now because I sense you're in heaven and you're looking down at us as your people. And you know we're longing to have this relationship that you designed for us. Lord, I know you're pleased when we, when we yearn for you in this way. Lord, would this not be just something we committed to at a retreat, but if this becomes a pattern in our life, it was such a pattern in your life here on earth. This, this fight to find time 
to re-energize, to focus on your heartbeat. It was what gave you the strength to battle Satan. It was what gave you the strength to begin your earthly ministry. Lord, oh, how foolish of us to think we could live without it. Lord, I, I just need you now more than ever. We want to do great things. We want to draw me more people to the peace that only you bring. But we will only have that peace, Lord, if we seek it out first. I thank you again for uh, these quiet times. We ask that you continue to bless us and help us to make an impact on the communities you've given us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.